here it is, another episode of the Infinite Banter Podcast. What is going on? My name is Mark Jaloff, a.k.a. DJ Soundwave. Got a big show today, about to get into some nerd stuff, Mandalorian, MCU, DCU, some wrestling, all that. With my guy Liam Crowley from TheDirect.com. But before we do that, in the words of Karis one here are some words from our sponsor. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. You're listening to the Infinite Banter Podcast. Big shout out to my man Catch22 who was on the last episode. If you've not heard it yet, definitely go out there and cop that new album, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Listen to that episode with him. We did a lot of talking about the history of Kansas City and Chicago hip-hop and everything in between. Three songs from that album were featured on the episode, so definitely check them out and go to 1kcradio.org. You can actually find Infinite Banter on there. If you look on the website, you'll see a list of podcasts. We are on there, so definitely check it out. I got it on right now, and it says Catch-22 Mix. So he's he's got a mix on there right now if you go onto your phones, go onto your computer, wherever, your tablets, whatever. Check out 1kcradio.org. Lots of great content. You don't have to be in Kansas City to hear it, so definitely salute to my man Catch-22. Really had a great time having him on the show last week. Today's episode, we're going to get into some nerd stuff. I talk a lot of, you know, comic books and wrestling and movies and stuff all the time, but not as much as I will today. Today's episode will be solely featuring that kind of discussion, and I got a great guest that came on to join me for it. My guy Liam Crowley from TheDirect.com. You can see his work there. You can also check out his podcast, The Direct Podcast, on Apple Podcasts, and all places you find podcasts. Definitely check him out. He also writes at WrestlingInc.com. So we got a lot to cover with him. Talked a lot about The Mandalorian, which is a show I love, and I've been meaning to get into it, and uh, finally got a chance to dedicate an episode to it, and Liam was great to come on, and a lot of great discussion about The Mandalorian and some of the future things going on with the Marvel Universe, even some DC stuff, which, you know, whatever, and, and wrestling, Royal Rumble's coming up this weekend. So definitely stay tuned. It's coming up in a few minutes. But as always, check out this show on all digital platforms, usual places, Apple Podcasts. And if you go on Apple Podcasts, rate and review the show. I appreciate it if you do. iTunes, a TuneIn app, Stitcher, Spotify, podcast.com. You can go on YouTube, type it in, Infinite Banter. You'll find clips from old episodes, past guests. Follow the show on Twitter at Infinite Banter. Same for Facebook and Instagram. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk to Liam Crowley from TheDirect.com. Talk about some nerd stuff. All right, my nerds, let's go. Let's get into this. I also want to talk about The Punisher at the tail end. Some news came out about Punisher that I didn't know about when I talked to Liam originally. So I'll bring up a little bit about that at the end. But before we do anything, you know how this show goes. It never starts. Into the one and only King from Queens, Daryl McDaniels, legendary King DMC, says this. Yo, yo, what's up? This is me, DMC, the K-I-N-G, the greatest MC in history. And right now, you're listening to Infinite Banter, because we will banter on forever, because this is the only place for all of y'all to ever be. I be Infinite Banter. You're tuned into the Infinite Banter Podcast. I am Mark Jolliffe, and I've been meaning to get into some nerd talk, some Mandalorian discussion, even some WandaVision, MCU-type things. 
maybe even some wrestling talk. And I found someone to do that. You could read his work on thedirect.com, wrestlinginc.com, and you can hear him on his podcast, Blockbuster Breakdown. Welcome into the Infinite Banter Podcast, Liam Crowley. How you doing, man? Fantastic, Mark. Thank you so much for, for having me on the show. This is quite the honor. Oh, man, honored to have you on. Likewise, dude, really appreciate it. And like I was saying, I'm such a nerd, but I've uh, done a lot of music stuff recently on this show, so I've been really wanting to focus an episode where I talk about The Mandalorian and some other geeky things that I'm into. Just to start it, I'm a big Star Wars nerd going way back. The recent movies were, you know, they're okay, but they kind of fell flat. Of course, the prequels are what they were, and uh, I've always been a fan of Rogue One, but I think a lot of us Star Wars nerds are like really pining for something good. And when The Mandalorian came out, you know, it really grabbed us what was your first take when it first started when the series first began or were you grasping to it as well yeah man i mean when when mando hit it was really special because i had kind of fallen out of star wars for the first time in a while in my life i mean i admittedly did not like the last jedi when i first saw it in theaters i I saw it twice in theaters once with my friends once with my uncles it's kind of like our little christmas tradition but i was upset leaving the theater (laughs) i remember being like you know if this is the direction we're going i don't know if i can really truly be a fan because right it, it was it was just odd. It was a weird feeling. I didn't agree with the portrayal of Luke Skywalker. I didn't like the whole running out of jet fuel storyline. I, I know it's realistic, but like fuel, <laughs> that's the fuel one time they get realistic, right? Yeah, just that one time, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then Mandalorian came around, and I was super stoked because one, I've always appreciated episodic storytelling because it allows the creators and the actors to be super patient and really dive into the niche aspects of characters and what makes them tick. And when you're able to tell a story over an eight episode, eight chapter season, which is essentially eight hours of television, you don't really have to cut anything. You can really dive into every aspect you wanted to. And beyond that, the fact that this was being developed by John Favreau, I mean, this guy has the Midas touch in Hollywood. Anything he touches turns to gold. Yep, he Iron Man. MCU, yep. Yeah, he brought the MCU to life with Iron Man. Uh, people forget, but he did Jungle Book, which eventually got him the Lion King. What he was doing with live, quote unquote, live action CGI adaptations of those Disney animated movies was something no other director in Hollywood was doing at the time. So when I heard that they were bringing him in to like the wild world of Star Wars, knowing that it was going to be a TV series and he could incorporate the big CGI elements that he did with Disney in the past with Lion King and Jungle Book while also working with that smaller budget Iron Man type vibe. I knew that it was like the perfect combination for a series like that to take off. And revisiting season one, I remember I rewatched it um, in lead up to uh, our coverage of uh, Mandalorian season two on the direct podcast. And I remember being not as wowed upon rewatching just because it's a smaller scale Star Wars story. That makes sense. That's that's the beauty of it at the same time, because it allows a story separate from the Skywalker, separate from the big action explosions. And I feel like with what Disney is going forward now in this new direction, they're going with Star Wars. It feels like they're able to make the world bigger by focusing on those smaller stories on those new planets that don't necessarily encompass the entire galaxy. And for that reason, I'm just I'm digging Mandalorian and I'm super excited for where they're taking the show. Yeah, in season one, they did a good job of balancing nostalgia and catering to the fans 
while also introducing new characters like Mandalorian, Baby Yoda, etc., and new worlds, like you said. And, you know, but it still kind of winked an eye at us fans. Like, oh, here's Tatooine, and here's an IG. It's not IG-88, but it's one of them. And here's a Bosk-type character, and so on and so on. So they definitely catered to the fans, but they did new things. They found a good way to balance that. And I think that's what I really liked about it, where the movies, I think, lacked in that. Because it's like they were caught in the middle. They didn't know how to handle the nostalgia of the, the original trilogy and still tell a new story with new characters. So they, I think they got caught up in it a little bit. But yeah, season two was great because I feel like after season one, the world was open. They can kind of do anything. And I really feel that's where season two really started to pick up storytelling wise. Oh, yeah. Uh, season two, I, I was I was really blown away by because, I mean, I, I've gotten into the habit recently of, of binging a lot of shows that have already been off the air. So when you watch a show, when you watch five seasons of a show in like a couple months and you're able to sit down and, and you know, get the series finale within your first like you know viewing experience of it it's easy to forget about how little happens in season in like the early seasons like a season one so when you watch the mandalorian this was one of my first shows i was watching weekly again probably since game of thrones went off the air and it was odd at first because it was like okay i'm hoping we get bigger and we get you know bigger elements and one thing i always said on the direct podcast uh, when we were when we were reviewing season two was i was so excited that we were getting subplots because season one really only had the one main story of mando and the child and then season two you get more stories of cara dune joining um you know the the new republic and all that and then you get the fact of uh why am I, oh, the uh, the uh, Darksaber is now its own side story. And right. then you have Bo-Katan going after the Darksaber. When, when you have season two allow the world to flesh out more and allow more characters, you're already familiar with the characters that they set up in season one. And because you're familiar with it, they're able to take them in new directions, which in turn makes the show more exciting. Because you, when you tune into an episode, you don't know whether it's going to be all you know, Grogu and Mando, or if we're going to get more Bo-Katan stuff, or if we're going to get more Cara Dune, New Republic stuff with uh, some Grief Karga in there. So I really dug how season two expanded the Mandalorian lore. Like, obviously, it's set in Star Wars, but Mando season one really established itself as its own corner of the galaxy. And now I feel like that corner of the galaxy is kind of branching off into its own uh, different entities, which I really, really dig. Yeah, oh, for sure. And it really, like you said, it, the lore of Mandalore <laughs> and, the Man- and, yeah. and all the Mandalorians, and you, you learn more about their uh, their culture and everything, their philosophy, where, you know, for most of us, it was just Boba Fett. Maybe if you watch the prequels, you know, Jango Fett and stuff like that. So, yeah, they really delve deep. And it, 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 it's so layered. There's so much to it. It's not just bounty hunting, which as a kid, I always thought that's all it was. But you said Grogu in there. What was your reaction when you first heard the name? For a year or whatever, we're calling it Baby Yoda, the child. But when we finally heard Grogu, I'm, I'm trying to remember what my reaction was to hearing what his name finally was i think i was cool with it but (laughs) yeah no i I remember i was taken aback a little bit because that was one of the more special but also one of the more anticipated episodes of the mandalorian oh yeah with um, ahsoka time right yeah in the series history because we knew going in to that episode we knew okay this is the ahsoka episode directed by dave filoni like we're we're getting some really groundbreaking stuff here And I appreciated that because it had a great balance of kind of like an action sandwich, if you will, where the the first 
and last third of the episode have the big lightsaber fights and everything. But the middle portion of the episode, like if we're using the sandwich metaphor, that's where the real meat was, because that's where we got you know, oh, the child, his name is Grogu. He trained at the Jedi Temple. He's a survivor of Order 66. That was really exciting to me because going into that episode, I was just hyped for some dual lightsabers. I was just hyped for some exactly. dope action. And when they kind of subverted our expectations by emphasizing the action and not having you really expect a lot of story beats to happen, that was really cool. And it was also really neat because in the moment, specifically when they revealed the Grogu name, you hear, you know, Ahsoka and, and the child communicating, and she says Grogu, and you kind of perk up a little bit. I, I usually, I'm on the East Coast, and I usually watch these episodes just because my Fridays were pretty laid back. I would usually stay up till, till 3 a.m. to watch them. So I was, you know, I'd always sit back, you know, trying to keep my eyes open. Um, and then I hear Grogu and I kind of perk up a bit. I'm like, well, what'd she just say? And right. Then you, you put the pieces together. Oh, Grogu, that's his name. And it kind of just turned the series on its, on, a, on its head because for so long, it got so used to the child and baby Yoda. I never really expected him to have a name, but now that he does, it, it makes sense. And I, I've, I've heard some people complain about, about the name, but at the end of the day, it's a very Star Wars name. I don't really know how similar you can make it to Yoda without feeling like it's ripping off Yoda. And I feel like Grogu is a nice like nod to, okay, same short name, two syllables, kind of emphasizes the vowels a bit, um, but it's also distinct. So you're not just thinking, oh, you're, you're ripping off Yoda, if that makes sense. I guess you can go back to like 1980 publications and see what were they saying about Yoda's name when it was revealed and who was this little green dude. So, <laughs> but oh, I, yeah, yeah. I think the way that Mando reacted to hearing the name in the episode is kind of like how I was like Grogu, like all right, that's his name for real. Okay. All right. Grogu. All right. I got you. <laughs> We're calling you Grogu now. <laughs> and another thing with that episode like- too, Michael Bean was in it. So, you know, anybody likes Terminator yeah. and everything, you know, you got a little extra cameo. Yeah, that was really neat. I remember going on the IMDb after that episode because I was like, I recognize that guy's face. Where is he from? And when I saw, oh, he's the Terminator actor, I was like, man, this show, they get they get Carl Weathers, uh, Apollo Creed yeah. himself. They, they have such great actors of yesteryear, and it's really cool to, to see because it makes the Star Wars universe just feel that much more like prestigious when they get these big names. Right, like Rosario Dawson playing Ahsoka Tan. And speaking oh, of, yeah. of actors, you know, me and you are wrestling fans. Sasha Banks, yep. we all knew she was yeah. coming. We didn't know what she was playing, or at least I didn't know. And uh, how do you felt that she handled her role as one of the uh, the Mandalorians? Uh, she was so kick-ass. Koska uh, Reeves, I believe, is her character name. And man, it was really cool to see someone like her break into Hollywood because, I mean, I've been watching wrestling uh, since 2011, since I was legit 11 years old. And uh, Sasha Banks is someone who, you know, her career started while basically uh, right in the, in, in the years while, while I was watching. So I, I've seen just about every one of her NXT matches, her entire main roster run. And I mean, you want to talk about amazing years like that, that girl in 2020 won every single main roster women's title um, that there is to hold. She won the Raw women's title, the SmackDown women's title and was women's tag champs with Bailey. And then the fact that on top of that, she gets uh, not one, but two episodes in The Mandalorian and gets the star in that crucial finale that's going to go down in Star Wars yeah. history. Yeah. I, I wrote an article for Wrestling Inc. the other day um, about her reaction to being in The Mandalorian. And so many people will like talk about these comic book and Star Wars projects about how, 
oh, it's so special and it's cool because like I, I might get like an action figure, I might get a poster or something. But she talked about how it was special to her because she's going to go down in history for decades to come. And she didn't say that like narcissistically. She said that very appreciatively because it's true. These are characters. These are stories that are going to be revisited for years and years to come. I mean, think about me and you. Uh, personally, I'm 20 years old and I revisit the 1977 Star Wars movie just about probably three times a year. Oh, that's a wow. movie that's old. Over, yeah. over 40 years old now. No, so. trust me. I'm at, I'm the same age almost. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Because, like, when you look about it down the line for, for The Mandalorian, if we hold that in the same regard that we hold the 77 Star Wars movie in, 50 years down the line, people are going to be binging this show back and, and looking at the lore that was set up back then. And who knows? I mean, based on Disney's trajectory, I expect this universe to keep going for decades and decades to come. And yeah, for Sasha Banks to kind of point out like, no, I, I'm going to my character is going to go down in, in the annals of history as, as one of the first premier streaming characters for Star Wars. Like it's really special to hear. And I, I love how much weight and how much gratitude she has with being involved in the show. And of course, you know, being a wrestler helps her with the physical stuff, like in the, the last episode and her Boba Fett are going at it. Bro, uh, she hit a DDT. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like, it was unreal. She hit a tornado DDT. That's that right. popped like crazy. No one understood on Twitter what I meant, but I was like, <laughs> no, that's a wrestling move. That is awesome. Yeah, I'm sure that she she's like, I got to work in some of my wrestling moves. Let me try this. I can't do the bank statement, but let me try a yeah. tornado DDT on the Boba Fett. I mean, just saying those words, Sasha Banks, tornado DDT on Boba Fett. As bad as 2020 was, that's one of the cool things you could say happened in 2020. Yeah, it's it's a statement, too. You make five years ago and you say, what are you talking about? The, 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 the NXT Women's Champion hits a DDT on a at this point dead in star wars canon character it's it's crazy but here we are i'll take it man and uh oh, thanks yeah. for making me feel old talking about how you've been watching sasha uh, <laughs> when you were young i i remember fabulous moolah man so <laughs> yeah no no you don't when fabulous moolah was was like the 50s she was still around in the 80s and and, and stuff though she was still uh Oh, is she like carrying like Ted DiBiase's like gold belt on a pillow or yeah. something in the late nineties or, or yeah. whatever, mid mid nineties no, or whatever? But you're you're right. I because I, I I have the network. I, I've educated myself on yeah. all that stuff. And, you could you could probably uh, yeah, skip some of her matches though. I don't think it's a yeah. big deal. Yeah. But I, I do remember like Mula was was big um, even in the later years of her career just because of how big of a name she was. Exactly. And we brought up Boba Fett, so I guess we might as well go there. How did you like how they brought him back? I mean, obviously, we still don't really know why he's alive. We could all kind of guess, but hopefully they handle that on his spinoff show, uh, The Book of Boba Fett. Because obviously in that first episode, when, when uh, Timothy Opat's wearing the, the, the armor, you're like, this dude doesn't fit. There's no way. It doesn't that, that, that can't yep. be Boba Fett. He's too tall and lanky. He looks like a, I mean, like a, like a grown man wearing like his kid outfit or something, like his football pads from high school mm. or something. It didn't fit right. So he knew it wasn't him, but we got that little glimmer at the end like okay he's he's still alive he's just you got to hold off for it. how did you like how they brought him back and and how he was treated throughout the the series yeah man it was it was really cool because i mean i've heard for years about the hype around this boba fett character and obviously you know you see him in the original trilogy and like he looks cool but he doesn't really like do anything you know and you know when george lucas wrote that character and, and gave him that, you know, backstory that we didn't really get to see explored except in some of the, the canon books and the books that are now uh, right. legends and all that. You knew that that was a character with untapped potential. 
And when I heard that they were bringing him back, obviously it kind of got spoiled by um, uh, casting leaks. And I think the Hollywood Reporter picked it up that uh, Tamara Morrison was was quote unquote reprising his role. He played Django Fett in the prequels, but we know, you know, the the history of the clones, it only makes sense that he would play an adult Boba Fett um, because he would look just like his dad. So when I saw that they were bringing him back, I I was curious, um, but I wasn't sold necessarily because I was still kind of worried about bringing characters back uh, just for nostalgia's sake. I feel like the the sequels kind of uh, hurt my, my expectations with that. Um, but when they brought back Boba Fett and then they had that episode where he just goes all in badass, on, man. Yeah, man, <laughs> the, the samurai fighting style and then watching the Star Wars gallery, which is like the behind the scenes look and having him interact um, with the director, uh, Robert Rodriguez, his name almost escaped me there for a second. Oh, great having action director. Inter- yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. amazing director. Having him like interact with Rodriguez, bouncing ideas off each other. You could tell how much passion he has for this character and the action was was phenomenal, but it wasn't just, you know, punching for punching sake. Like there was there was a, a motivation behind it. There was a technique behind it. You really got, you know, the Mandalorian's often been touted as a as a Western show, but you really got a lot of old school samurai vibes from whenever Boba Fett was on screen yeah. uh, kicking ass. So man, his character arc in this show was very intriguing and i thought they sold his eventual spin-off show the book of boba fett really well this season and it makes that show just immediately shoot up my totem pole of, of hyped star wars projects because of how much how little of a taste we really got in this season of what boba fett can accomplish now you're going to give me a full-on season of him in a starring role Sign me up, man. He was awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was that was probably my favorite episode of the season. It's the one I watched immediately again, like afterwards. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I need to watch this again. It just, I think it's all the years of build up, depending how long you know anybody goes back who's listening, who's a fan of the Boba Fett character. Uh, we all kind of felt he was did wrong by Return of the Jedi. Whatever. I mean, it's fine. It, we, for years, we, there's always this thought that he survived. And of course, in comic books and such, he did. But to see it in a series like that and the way they treated it and just to see him just kicking ass. I mean, we were just kind of been waiting for him to actually do his thing and he did it and it was an awesome episode so definitely uh and made the lore of him because there's always like you know boba fett looked cool but he like you said he didn't really do anything so people kind of built him up without any like proof well now there's the proof he's actually pretty good well look what he's doing he's kicking ass and you know and then he put his armor on and then he did his thing with the missile and yeah it's a wrap so that was that was awesome yeah, so the, cool i was gonna say the one tweak i hope they make to him in the uh, in the solo series i hope he gets that you know, like the ratty white under uh, shirt that he wears. Yeah. The armor. It's the one thing that's like, I like the new look, but it's like almost a little too sleek for me. If I'm a lot, if I'm going to make of such a petty sure. criticism, uh, what I loved about the OG trilogy Boba Fett armor was how, you know, this guy's, you know, he's been through the ringer, you know, he's a bounty hunter who gets his hands dirty. And obviously he's got the armor back. It looks sleek because he hasn't been fighting since he got like the new paint job and everything. But I expect once the series to kick, once the series, uh, his solo series that is kicks off and gets, you know, deeper down the line. Um, I expect it to get more, more ratty, more beat up, but, uh, I'm really looking forward to him hopefully getting that, that like white undersuit. Um, because I feel like that just completes the Boba Fett look. 
Yeah, it did look a little different. It was a little more green, you know, when he when he cleaned it yeah. up, or I guess the paint. It'll it'll wear off a bit. Maybe he'll end up looking the same. But now that he's taken over Java's throne from, as I call him, Bib Fat Tuna, because apparently when you sit in that chair, oh. you just you just eat those uh, Tatooine frogs all day and just get fat. So uh, he's taken over. Let's see if he's actually going to move around to do anything, or he's going to need a suit that could actually expand. Like some, he'll need some sweats or something because he'll probably get fat sitting on oh, the, yeah, the, the throne. <laughs> Feels like the curse. You sit on Jabba's throne, you just up the calorie intake. It's crazy. <laughs> there it is. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait for that show. I'm really anticipating that one. I think that will not let us down. And I'm hoping they do like a couple episodes where they obviously show him crawling out of the Sarlacc or however he got out of there. I'm sure they will have to explain that somehow. But talking about your article I saw on thedirect.com, a lot of the, the actors had no idea for the big reveal in the final episode with Luke Skywalker. And spoiler, by the way, you've been listening by now, you should have figured this out. Um, <laughs> she, the actress who played Bo-Katan, she had no idea who it was. I mean, she had a, a, a like, according to you know what I was reading, she had an idea, but she didn't really, they didn't tell anybody who it was. So that's crazy how they kept us under wraps for as long as they did. And it didn't get out because, you know, we live in a world of spoilers and everything. Like you said with Boba Fett, we all kind of knew before it even happened. What was your take on uh, the Luke Skywalker reveal and, and you know, talking about how the actors didn't actually know who the Jedi was that ended up saving uh, Grogu? Yeah, that was that was really, really special what they were able to pull off in the, uh, the season finale for season two. Um, the article I wrote was, yeah, Bo-Katan's actress, Katie Sackhoff, uh, was on a show called uh, The Sith Council, which is on the Schmodown Entertainment Network over on YouTube. And she said that she didn't know um, who the who the Jedi was until she watched the finale. And that's because obviously they, they used the body double and they CGI down Mark Hamill's face. Um, and obviously the all lightsabers, um, you know, they don't light up the color that they use. It's, you know, a pole that they then CGI on uh, whatever color uh, lightsaber it is in, in post-production so theoretically no one would have known uh who the mystery jedi was i mean that being said uh sackoff did say that she was like you know trying to piece stuff together and a lot of people will say how how could you not know the writings on the wall type situation but at the end of the day that's kind of a reveal that if you're an actor on set you would expect you know if you're literally in the scene not just involved in the show but literally present on screen with this character you'd expect that they would tell you who it is so you can appropriately react to said character and the fact that they kept it secret just goes to show just the amount of care that John Favreau and Dave Filoni have for these big reveals um it's easy to kind of get lost in in these shows and sometimes look at them as especially with the sequels a lot of them looked like a cash grab and it looked more like we want to like kind of milk the Star Wars property and, you know, not necessarily do good storytelling, but just kind of give the fans uh, the nostalgia points they want uh, with the Mandalorian. And obviously Luke Skywalker has a bit of uh, nostalgia to him, but it, it felt appropriate. It felt earned. And the fact that they they went to these great lengths to keep it secret just goes to show how much these creators care about that authentic fan experience i mean i i remember i watched the the finale when it first premiered at 3 a.m i immediately got on my phone and i texted some of my close friends who were big mandalorian fans and i i just in all caps was like you see this message you watch mandalorian immediately you don't go on twitter you don't go on tiktok (laughs) you don't go on instagram you stay away because these this revealed the the fact it was kept secret for 
well over a year now, considering it was written into the script probably um, by the time season one wrapped up and was shot, you know, I assume before the pandemic, because Mandalorian was one of the only shows that wasn't delayed whatsoever. The fact that they were able to keep it a secret with all that going on, it's absolutely incredible. And so um, it just goes to show that they wanted you to kind of experience that in the moment. I did kind of have a, a theory on why they went the CGI route and not recast. And that's because Rosario Dawson and Tamira Morrison's castings were kind of leaked by the press early on in the spring and just naturally because you know you see him on set you piece two and two together right and you you assume what characters they're going to be playing and obviously those reveals would have been better if we were surprised by them but you know they did play into the series as a whole and ahsoka was name dropped before she showed up and boba fett you saw his armor before he showed up so it, it wasn't as big of a a reveal that needed to be kept secret as a Luke Skywalker. And when people complained about the CGI, because, you know, it's not perfect. They did what they could, but um, it's clearly, you know, a CGI face on a, on a doubled body. Right. Um, when people said that, I was like, I kind of theorized that if they went the recasting route, a popular one on, on the internet, and my personal favorite is uh, Sebastian Stan to play a young Luke Skywalker. Oh, Winter Soldier, right, yeah. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. uh, if you see the side-by-side photos, he looks impeccable. But if you were to get an actor like Sebastian Stan on set and the press or, or someone uh, snapped a photo and it leaked, people are going to put two, to, two and two together and say, oh, an A-lister like Sebastian Stan He's on set because he's playing a big role. And what's the big theory going around? Him as Luke Skywalker. Then the reveal is spoiled. So if it means going the CGI route just to protect the reveal and then maybe go recasting later down the line if you want to make Luke, you know, a reoccurring character in these Star Wars TV projects, I am perfectly okay with that because it it made the reveal pure. And uh, I mean, as as a Star Wars fan, what more can you ask for? No, and I was truly geeked, you know, when you see the green lightsabers, very reminiscent of the end of Rogue One when Vader, you know, he's standing in the uh, in, in the ship there and the red lightsaber comes on. He's just wasting rebels and, you know, Luke's wasting uh, dark troopers. You know, yeah, when you see the CGI at first, I think I was just more taken like, oh, my God, Luke Skywalker's in this. And you don't even like think about it. Then I watched it again. Like, yeah, I could see he's not blinking, whatever. But I honestly just don't care because I like what you said earlier about how they treated Luke in the, the sequels. This kind of brought it back to the Luke Skywalker we all wanted and didn't never really got after Return of the Jedi. So there was just that that excitement that he's just a badass Jedi and he's just kicking down doors and just taking out the, the suckers. That's what I wanted and I'm, I'm glad we got it. What they do next, that's the next question. You know, like you said, maybe somebody plays them, they recast it. Maybe they don't even do anything. Who knows how they're... Any idea what you think they should do or what do you think they will do? My my biggest theory, um, and I, I kind of I look at this from both a, a fan standpoint and a business standpoint, uh, Grogu's story is not done for the, the mere fact that <laughs> Grogu, uh, Baby Yoda, moves way too much merchandise for them to just retire that character. Exactly. Uh, Baby Yoda will be back in some capacity. You can bet your bottom dollar on it. Um, I believe I, I would like to see him appear back in The Mandalorian since he is, you know, a Mandalorian character at this point. And if he's going to return, then that, mean Luke is, that means Luke is going to return in some capacity. Um, I'd be interested to see maybe in a season three, since it seems like Mando's storyline is going to take him to Mandalore with the Darksaber and maybe have a bit of a a civil war with Bo-Katan over who is the rightful um, heir to the throne over there. I would be interested to see if they started going kind of the Game of Thrones route 
where Thrones kind of divided their seasons between scenes at King's Landing and Winterfell and then scenes following Daenerys Targaryen and what she was doing um, in her respective adventures. I'd be interested to see if they kind of divide the scenes between shots of, of Mando doing his thing and then occasionally pepper us in with Grogu training on Octu. Um, Octu is the, the island that Luke escaped to, so I don't know necessarily if that's the island he would be on at this time, right. or if he would have a, a different Jedi temple somewhere else. But I think Luke will definitely be back for sure. I think it's a, a character that they would want to bring back in some capacity just because of how much nostalgia is attached to him, but also because of how much there is to explore. Because as you mentioned, and as I said earlier, I, I didn't really agree with who Luke Skywalker was in the sequel trilogy. I didn't think that was true to his character. And it seemed like Mark Hamill didn't agree with it either. That's so true. I remember, I remember seeing some of his tweets saying, you know, thank you to uh, Peyton Reed, the director of chapter 16 for allowing me to portray uh, Luke again, when he was still a hero, when he was still the all powerful optimistic Jedi. And I think that's a character that Disney wants to explore further and Mark Hamill, given his passion for Star Wars, I think he would be A-OK with giving his stamp of approval to any actor to be recast as a younger version uh, of that character. And beyond that, we already know we're going to get more Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan. We know Hayden Christensen coming, is coming back as Darth Vader. So it doesn't feel like inappropriate for them to explore characters further from the original trilogy and tell more stories set around that time. So when it comes to Luke, I know a lot of people say, like, make new characters and push the story forward. But who's to say Luke can't be a, a fantastic, reoccurring, supporting character in any one of these shows? No, you, you said you said it right there. I mean, exactly 100 percent on that. And you brought up the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, you know, series that's that's on the docket that might be coming or should be coming out. And Hayden Christensen's part of that. Not so sure if I'm excited about that or not, because, you know, he's not exactly one that people have strong feelings of in a positive way and how we played sure, Anakin. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see. I'll, I'll put it that way. I'm definitely curious to see how they do that. The Andor storyline, that one sounds like something I'm more intrigued to watch from Rogue One. I see he's part of it also. You know, of course, it's talking about Boba Fett. Ahsoka, I'm assuming, is going to get a series as well. I, I, I oh, saw yeah. there's a Lando show. Any idea who's going to play him or is, is that still up in the air? I haven't heard anything about that beyond an announcement that they're going to do one. Yeah, it, it's funny. That's actually... Uh... Uh, one of the stories I, I broke on the direct.com was about the Lando story. I, I didn't cover it first. It came on Disney and Investor Day, but um, I was the one tasked with uh, reporting on it. And it was interesting because all these other shows, they announced, okay, Ewan McGregor will be returning for the Obi-Wan series and Rosario Dawson will reprise her role as Ahsoka in the Ahsoka series. With Lando, they just announced the title card and I believe they announced a, a director or a creative mind behind it. The name escapes me at the moment, but they didn't announce whether it would be Billy D. Williams or Donald Glover. They just said that a Lando series was coming. They didn't even say if it was going to be live action or. or animation. Oh, good point. So, yeah, if it's animated, or, that'd be easy. You could just have Billy yeah, D. Exactly. voice it. Exactly. They could get anyone um, any time period uh, for that matter. But based on the time of Disney investor day, when they announced it, um, they didn't announce it close to the Bad Batch, which is an animated show, or the uh, the Droid Tale. They announced it within those, you know, uh, Ahsoka series, Obi Wan series, Boba Fett series. They announced it around that time, so I expect it to be live action. But the fact that they didn't announce Donald Glover's involvement 
um, makes me think that, you, you know, they might be kind of at a standstill with a contract. Um, Donald Glover is one of the hottest names in Hollywood. So right. I'm sure he can he can get any price that he wants. It's just a matter of whether or not Disney wants to give him that price. And Billy D. Williams would be interesting, but it would be a story that was would be set around the sequel trilogy, just given his age. And from what I can tell, I don't think that Star Wars... Um, and Kathleen Kennedy and everyone at Lucasfilm is very keen on exploring that time period anymore. Um, they did. I remember seeing a quote somewhere that said that they were kind of quietly retiring those characters and focusing more on stories set around a couple years after the fall of the Empire and dealing with that kind of fallout. So if this Lando series does end up happening, which I expect it to because Disney doesn't usually make announcements that they don't intend on fulfilling. Um, I expect it to be a Donald Glover led show, but at the time, at the moment, um, time of recording, whenever you're listening to this podcast, Donald Glover has not signed on. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. And we're talking with Liam Crowley from the direct.com and talking a lot of star Wars stuff. And then I want to switch over to some other Disney plus uh, programming and WandaVision. So, you know, that, that was a show oh, yeah. that is, you know, a lot of, lot of hype coming up with it. And three episodes in, I mean, I grew up, uh, as I said, I'm an old guy. So I grew up on some of these sitcoms. I remember watching I Dream of Genie, and I'm trying to think what the recent one was similar to. But uh, I don't know what's next. I can do like a different strokes or Family Ties version in the next episode when everybody gets to the 80s. But uh, what is your take on it so far? I'm kind of in the middle on it. I like the nostalgia sitcom-y, you know, part of it. But then it feels like the story's taking a while to get going. But I feel like the reveal is going to be a big deal. I just got to be patient. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I, I know I'm pretty young, but the latest episode was very inspired by uh, the Brady Bunch. And while I was not alive when that show was airing, um, my mom was obsessed with the Brady Bunch. And <laughs> she she sat us down when we were young. We had the box set. I, I, I feel like I've watched the entire Brady Bunch series probably three times oh, total. Wow. <laughs> and I honestly could not tell you a single episode because I was so young, I barely remember it. But um, the uh, the nods to just the the costumes and the characters and even that iconic intro, it, it felt very, it, it kind of triggered some memories for me, but I, I couldn't put my, uh, my thumb on it too much. But yeah, with, with WandaVision, it's one of these shows that uh, we said on the podcast uh, recently that I was appreciating because it allows you to digest it week in and week out because if they dropped all these episodes at once and we didn't go week to week, I feel like we we'd hop on a, on a microphone, on a podcast, write an article just kind of about the finale. I think we're going to get some really special yeah, stuff. Good point. The tail end of the show. And I like that they're allowing us to each week, take an episode, marinate on it a bit, speculate for a week, have fun on Twitter, have these fun discussions where me and you can can chat about what we think is going to happen rather than just getting it all at once. I, I like this patient storytelling they're doing. And I completely agree. The first two episodes did not really sell me. I was I said I was intrigued, not sold. The third episode really ramped up my expectations. And from everything I'm hearing about this fourth episode, I think we're really going to get uh, more exploration into the outside world. I think we're going to get more sword stuff. Uh, I heavily, heavily expect Jimmy Wu um, to show up in some capacity in the next episode. And uh, once once we hit episode four, I really think we're going to be foot on the gas until the end of the season. And the beauty of that is that gives us, you know, six full episodes remaining of, of top dollar stuff. I like that we've got the quote unquote filler and fluff out of the way. 
because it's going to make me appreciate uh, these bigger episodes down the line. Oh, for sure. And I've got to correct myself. I think I said I Dream a Genie. I think it's Bewitched at the second episode was basically oh, playing yeah, on. Yeah, I, yeah. I screwed them up. I, I remember as a kid, I always got those two shows screwed up. One was a witch, one was a genie. It's like the same damn show, but whatever. <laughs> all, all blends together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As a comic book geek, I'm looking forward to the episode. It's in the trailer. I don't know which one it's going to be in. Maybe it's in the next one. You see Vision and Scarlet Witch in the old school you know, uh, throwback outfit that we've yeah. always seen them in. So I can't wait for that when he's walking around the green and yellow and she's got the whole red deal going on. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. And like you said, there's a really good point you made. If you just watched the whole thing and you like binge watched it, I think you lose something. Because the reveal, I'm, I'm just getting so impatient. I think that's what they're doing. They're building something here and I just got to be ready because it's something's coming. You just, just got to catch it. I'm sure there's things I'm not catching when I watch the show, but I'm really looking forward to the reveal. And uh, seeing if Vision is actually alive, or is this all, you know, Wanda, did she make this whole thing up, this whole world? Is this all her? Or is it, you know, the, the whole sword thing? You know, there's so much Hydra. There's so much going on. I, I think we're going to get a real nice reveal when this is all said and done. So looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. It's it's one of those things that I feel like when, when it's all said and done and we've watched it week to week, and then you go back and you rewatch it as a full binge, you'll appreciate more of the little nooks and crannies that they set up in these early episodes. In every interview I've seen with uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, they always talk about there's stuff that's been set up in these early episodes that viewers have not caught. Like they've, they've read the forums and they've read the theories and the speculations and they blatantly see people missing big things. And that's not to the fault of the viewer. That's just because you don't know the significance of object X right. or, or line Y just yet. And I, I love hearing that kind of stuff because it makes the early episodes that much more integral to the overall storyline. So hearing stuff like that, it's almost like these early episodes. I get more excited hearing the actors talk about where we're going than the episodes themselves. And that's not a knock on the episodes. That just goes to show that, you know, even as I'm entertained watching what inevitably is going to be a filler episode, knowing that we're going to get somewhere that these actors who are involved in this project and are getting paid millions of dollars to do it are giddy talking about it. It just goes to show that, no, what we're getting is something really special. And when an actor, um, obviously it's by trade that they get excited by these projects. That's why they sign on. But, you know, I kind of feel like some, some superhero actors sign on for the paycheck very rarely, but some, some do um, just because, you know, you've, you've earned a good career in Hollywood and, you want to cash out and, and attach your big name to a, a big blockbuster pitcher. But when I see um, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, Catherine Hahn, Jimmy Woo, not Jimmy Woo, excuse me, Randall Park, Jimmy Woo is his character's name. Um, when I see them giving these press junkets and just smiling ear to ear about what's coming, it's it's really exciting as a viewer. Yeah, and it's like we were talking about before with the, the Mandalorian. It's the whole keeping things under wraps so nothing gets out, so there's no spoilers but, yeah. you know, it's 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 really tough. I mean, we're, we're living in an era where, you know, there's so much social media and people doing shows and podcasts and talking about this stuff. It's hard to not figure it out if you do enough searching on the Internet. Um, another uh, Marvel entity that I'm, I'm glad is coming back, but I don't know how they're going to do it with the unfortunate passing of Chadwick Boseman is Black Panther 2. Any idea what storyline they're going to do? I've, I've always thought maybe they'll do Shuri because I know in the comic book she took over as Black Panther for a while. Any ideas where they might go in, in that storyline? Yeah, uh, well, rest in power, Chadwick Boseman, first off. Uh, man, that was that was hard news to grasp yeah, that, that without day. A doubt. 
yeah, that was that was one of the first days uh, I had moved back into college and, you know, I was still getting situated, still getting used to my my semester schedule. And that news hit. It was like late on what I feel was a weekend. Like I think it's like a Friday night or something like really. Yeah. Late. And I, yeah. I remember rushing to my my computer and seeing if it was real and all that. And obviously we ended up uh, writing articles about it. And it was it was a lot to process because Bozeman straight up was one of my favorite actors going. And it's easy for a lot of people to say that because he became so prominent in his later years. But I remember way back, um, I believe it was 2013, when a movie called 42 came out. Which yeah, was, uh, there you go. A biopic about Jackie Robinson. Yeah. And that was back. I, I've been a Marvel junkie since since 2008 when the first Iron Man came out. I saw it in theaters. And while all these movies are making a ton of money, back then, being a comic book fan, uh, comic book movie fan, too, was looked at as like kind of kind of geeky like it wasn't like it's not cool like it is now right (laughs) exactly it's mainstream now and it's it's almost you feel like you're on the outside looking in if you're not watching these marvel movies and when 42 came out i remember telling my friends i was like i want this guy to play black panther so bad and a lot of people were like who who's who's black panther this is not like you know a character that's on on screen yet um sure he's in some animated shows and I was like, just you wait. They're going to do Black Panther eventually, you know, down the line. And when that casting announcement got made, um, I believe it was the, it was the phase three announcement when they announced Civil War and they had Downey and Evans pose against each other. And then they announced Black Panther would kind of be the middleman. And Robert Downey Jr. introduced Mr. Chadwick Boseman, who would be playing Black Panther. I remember losing my mind because it was <laughs> it was kind of like one of my first yeah. dream castings that came true. And uh, yeah, it was such an unfortunate passing. He was uh, hard of gold as as an actor, as a man, hearing all the stories about how he kept his condition secret just because he didn't want people to worry. Uh, that kind of selflessness of going through your own pain, but going through every day with a smile on your face and inspiring millions and millions of kids and being kind of the face of a generational uh, superhero and superhero franchise um, nothing but but admiration for Chadwick Boseman. As for where I think they're going with Black Panther 2, I feel like it's most appropriate uh, to have Shuri take the mantle. I've heard some whispers that maybe they could they could go the M'Baku route with uh, Winston Duke possibly taking oh, okay. the mantle. Uh-huh. But in terms of the legacy of the character, it feels only appropriate to kind of keep it in the family. I know Killmonger, Michael B. Jordan, recently on Twitter was saying how he'd love to come back, but it's obviously not his decision. And to our knowledge, he, he's dead in canon right now. So remains to be seen whether they would do some Wakandan magic to bring him back or if he would come back in flashback scenes. But yeah, I, I'd be willing to bet that Shuri is the one to uh, take on the mantle. But however Marvel does it, I, I have nothing but faith that it's going to be completely respectful. And however they end up retiring the character of T'Challa, uh, I think it's going to be a, a moment where we're all going to have to bring a, a tissue box into the theater yeah. because I think they're... They're going to handle it with such grace and care um, that it's just going to be uh, really emotional as, as, a, as a viewer and as a fan of not just these characters, but uh, the actor Chadwick Boseman. Uh, without a doubt, man. And, you know, I was always looking forward to the idea they might have, you know, the storm and T'Challa marriage and that yeah. on screen. And, you know, of course, that's not going to happen. But 
that being said, you're right. They're, they've handled it so perfectly, and I believe Ryan Coogler is in is head of the next one too. I'm not sure if he's directing. I thought I saw that he was. I and, believe he, I believe he'll be back. I, right. I, I can confidently say that. So with that in in mind, you know he's going to handle it perfectly, and they're going to do everything right with respect to Chadwick. And uh, it's just an amazing talent. And uh, I remember him playing James Brown, and he was so great in that too. So yeah, he's. He's got a couple movies I need to see that came out this past year. There's a Spike Lee movie, and I forget the other one. So I'm way behind on that. But yeah, can't replace them. But they can definitely do something with the storyline and move Black Panther forward. And like you said, keeping in the family makes a lot of sense. Maybe with Shuri as the taking up the mantle. Speaking of Marvel movies that never worked, and I see they're going to try it again. Why are we doing Fantastic Four? I I, I don't <laughs> un- I, I honestly don't get it. It never worked <laughs> the first two times. Speaking of Michael B. Yeah. Jordan, which I've never seen that one, by the way. I, I don't think I need to watch it to know that it didn't no, work. You're, you're not missing out on that. <laughs> Why are we doing... I guess you you kind of have to have them, I guess, but there's got to be a better way. I don't, I don't know, man. I'm just... I can't care. I, I, I want to care, but I really can't. Make me care. <laughs> uh, I'll try my best because I'm actually looking forward to this one. I, I grew up... Uh, I remember the Fantastic Four movies, the, the ones with Chris Evans and Jessica Alba. I remember genuinely liking them because i was a dumb kid and i liked big explosions and superhero <laughs> spectacles right you know i it, it, it's funny that you mentioned this because uh the fantastic four the original one um was on netflix recently and i remember sitting down bored one night and decided to put it on and it's a tough watch yeah and i, I <laughs> for someone who I got a lot of nostalgia with with bad movies that I straight up will enjoy when I revisit them. Uh, Batman and Robin comes to mind. The one with George Clooney, like yeah. I still I still watch that with a smile. He even hates face. that one. George Clooney's even admitted that he ruined Batman. Yeah, so. even uh, <laughs> Spider Man Three with Tobey Maguire. I, I love that final act with with Sandman and Green Goblin and Venom. I thought that was the coolest thing as a kid and even Fantastic Four. Though I, I go back and I rewatch it and I'm just like, what are we? doing here did this script (laughs) did this script even go through multiple drafts like this is so corny um and then fan four stick came along and i I jokingly call it that because they tried to make that terrible uh, insert the number as a letter to make it look all edgy and it just looked dumb and the movie itself i remember the first act being genuinely intriguing and then you could sniff out from a mile away the studio interference um, and it didn't help that the director of that movie, I remember the day, the weekend it came out, he went on Twitter and said, the movie you're seeing is like not the one I intended to make. Um, the studio got its hands dirty. And I was like, dude, at least save that for a year after it comes out. Like <laughs> we talk about just panning a movie before it even has a chance to make some money. But with all that being said, those movies were produced and executed by a studio that was mostly looking just to make a profit off these films. This is a studio that did a lot of great X-Men movies, but also a lot of X-Men movies that were clearly just a cash grab. I I look at uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix. I look at X-Men Apocalypse, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Stories that were told there did not feel like a story that needed to be told, but rather a story that, you know, this lends itself to a nice blockbuster audience. Let's make some money off this thing with Marvel studios. They know they have the power to quite literally make a billion dollars with any title they release. So with that being said, they have the power to pick and choose which stories come when. And with fantastic four, 
there's a reason why they announced that that was going to be the first one they reboot from Fox rather than X-Men because they have they clearly have a plan in place for Marvel's first family to come into the fold in a real, authentic, exciting way. And beyond that, it's being directed by John Watts, who directed the first two um, Spider-Man movies in the MCU, Homecoming and Far From Home. And he's also directing the third Spider-Man movie in the MCU, which just goes to give me more faith that Spider-Man 3 is going to be phenomenal. Gotcha. So yeah, whatever they yeah. do with Fantastic Four, I think that there's a lot of cool outlets they could go. I've heard rumors that this could be set in the past. This could be set like in the 60s and they get trapped in the quantum realm. And that's how they get their powers. But we both know the quantum realm time works weird. Um, how Scott Lang came out in Endgame after five hours and it had been five years. So they could do some really cool stuff where you have Reed Richards mingling with Howard Stark and a, and a younger Hank Pym goes into the quantum realm and then all of a sudden comes out and it's modern time. I know they've done the fish out of water story plenty of times before with Captain Marvel and uh, Captain America both come to mind pretty quickly. But I, I, there's a lot of exciting outlets they can take these characters and the fact that they have an entire sandbox of already established MCU characters to play with. That just gets me excited for for writing the wrong that has done that has been done to these characters before and beyond that. If I can just sell it once more, um, <laughs> our expectations gotta be yeah. You know, the bar the is low. <laughs> the bar is very low. It is we're not expecting much out of a, out of a third attempt at a Fantastic Four franchise. So uh, I'm willing to bet that with a, a team like Kevin Feige, John Watts and the entire crew at Marvel Studios, I'm willing to bet that they're going to pull off something that's at least worth watching. Man, all right. Salute. I applaud you for that. I think you might have sold me on, at the very least, I will watch it. (laughs) And I I promise, disclaimer, I'm not even working on this film. I know it sounded like I was like... You pitched a whole idea and everything. This this picture, but... No, I'm just, I'm a Fantastic Four fan. I'm excited to see what they do with it. Well, I'm sure Disney's listening. They always listen to my show. I mean, I know they do. So, yeah, if you guys are listening. Cast cast me as Johnny Storm. I'll take it. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, Chris Evans is busy, so, you know. (laughs) Hey, hey, he might be coming back as Cap. We never know. There you go. There you go. And and it wouldn't be an Infinite Banter podcast if I didn't talk about, because I'm a big nerd about Moon Knight. Moon Knight's coming. I'm excited about it. Oscar Isaac, who's in the Star Wars movies, this all connects I'm just really geeked about Moon Knight. I don't know if you're a fan at all, but uh, people who are listening know that I'm a nerd about Moon Knight. So there's really no question there. I'm just excited that they're doing a Moon Knight yeah. series. <laughs> I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. I, I don't know a, a ton about the character. I I've read a couple issues, but no full runs of Moon Knight. And I'm I'm most intrigued by the casting of Oscar Isaac because. I know Moon Knight deals with a character with, with like multiple personalities, Correct, and yeah. kind of bipolar disorder and all that. And I don't know. Have you ever seen the movie? Uh, uh, what's it called? I'm blanking on it. Right. Ex Machina. You ever seen that movie? Uh, no, I, I'm definitely familiar with it, but I've never seen it. Well, uh, write it, write it down because that, that movie to a T sells me on the idea of, of Oscar Isaac gotcha. playing Mark, Mark Spector because in that movie, he plays such a deranged, uh, you know, very sophisticated and philosophical. But behind that is a madman and a character with a lot of edge and ticks about him. Um, in that movie alone, um, the fact that he was able to pull off that character um, in a movie where he's really in that movie, he's playing off essentially two other characters, essentially a three man show 
uh, Isaac, uh, Donald Gleason, and Alicia Vikander. Um, that movie really sold me on the idea of him as Mark Spector. All right. And uh, I, like I said, I, I'm not super familiar, but I've been told he's like Marvel's Batman meets Split, essentially. And uh-huh. that con- that concept alone, when you talk about how great episodic television is at, at telling patient storytelling and telling uh, character case studies, I think this is going to be if I'm going to give a, a big uh, uh, exaggerated statement, I think this is going to be the best Marvel character case study that they've done so far. Wow. There you go. And, you know, you just reminded me, too, back when Iron Man was originally announced that Robert Downey Jr. was going to play Tony Stark, there was a movie called Zodiac that came out shortly before yeah. that. And I remember watching that. And he plays a drunk, you know, and everything, a very Tony Stark-like. And, you know, a guy who was, you know, in his work, you know, like Tony Stark, as I remember watching it, like, wow, he's gonna, if he could do this, he's definitely gonna just destroy playing Tony Stark. Perfect casting. I mean, they, they nailed it, of course, as we all know, you know, how many years later. Um, mm-hmm. Any reason why I should care about anything DC's doing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the way you framed that question. Man. I love that. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. There are a couple projects on my radar for DC. Um, the first one, I, I gotta say, the Batman with Robert Pattinson. Um, I know I just dropped a big uh, hyperbole statement, but I think when it's all said and done, Robert Pattinson will emerge as the best on-screen Batman that we've ever Whoa. seen. And I know, I know, I know. Yeah, seen a, a a brief trailer, but I, I have reason to believe that this movie is going to be rated R and it's going to be super gritty. We're going to see a violent Batman like we've never seen before. And on top of that, my favorite Batman comics are the ones that follow Detective Batman and having him feel like someone following a case and following the clues and unraveling the mystery and not necessarily just beating up bad guys, having him actually get involved with an intricate case and having him be a detective. And my favorite Batman uh, graphic novel is the long Halloween. And this trailer gave me a lot of long Halloween vibes. Ah, The fact that uh, the Riddler is going to be the villain. And that's a character that I've always loved and never really cared for any live action portrayals. And you mentioned Zodiac, the the Riddler in that trailer feels a lot like um, the Zodiac killer, not just in that movie, but I mean, it's based on real life. Right. Feels like it's inspired by, by that, that story and all that Um, other DC projects to look out for. um, I'm not super excited about the suicide squad, but James Gunn, anything he touches turns to gold. Right. Uh, Both guardians movies are phenomenal. And the entire cast of that movie seems to love him, uh, which is really cool to hear. And I mean, I'm, I don't want to say I'm looking forward to the Snyder cut. I'm just very intrigued as to <laughs> what it's going to be. Because talk about just yeah. a fever dream of a project, a four hour director's cut with reshoots and retellings and new dialogue and new scenes and new characters written in that weren't in the original original project. Like Joe Manganiello's Deathstroke is in this. Jared Leto's Joker is in this. We're, we're getting character returns that were not scheduled to be in the original Justice League. And for what reason, I really don't know because the the DCEU, all the shareholders in DC and all the, all the, the suits kind of running the show there have said the Snyder Cut, they don't see a future in that story. This seems like a one and done picture that's not really going to affect the greater DCEU. And it's a retelling of a movie that's now about three and a half years old. For what reason 
really, it seems just to appease the fans. So if we're going to get a four hour version of what Zack Snyder wanted to do in what ended up being a two hour theatrically released Joss Whedon cut of Justice League. Right. I can't say I'm not intrigued by the concept, but I do not have many expectations for it to be uh, very good whatsoever, in my opinion. And that's a long time to ask people to sit down and watch something. I mean, you'd almost have to do like a Kill Bill thing, slice it in half, make it a volume one, volume two. But I don't, I don't know that that's that's a hard sell. But um, <laughs> if it if it improves it, because I didn't care much for it, I guess it can only get better. I, I guess yeah. I'm intrigued. Like you said, I, there's definitely some intrigue going on there. And speaking of good guys and bad guys, I can't let you go without bringing up some wrestling stuff. Hell yeah, man. Royal Rumble, my favorite pay-per-views coming up on Sunday. Who do you have? Do you even have any? Have you thought about who might win each one for the men and women's? And I got AJ and Bel Air. I don't know if I'm going to be right, but that's who I'm rooting for at least. Okay. Where Where do you yeah, see it going Sunday? Well, first off, I, I really dig those picks. Um, I would love to see Bianca Belair um, get the win. She's she's someone who's been red hot all year. She's somehow maximized getting over and getting popular despite not having any live crowds, which is so hard to do because um, it feels like everything nowadays is just kind of generated by whatever they make those crowd reactions. But I see the support for her on social media and it's through the roof and it seems like they want to capitalize on that. If you want to talk about a a marquee matchup for WrestleMania, Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair, that feud writes itself. I think they hinted at that too with that tag match a few weeks back. I I, I feel like they, they try to get us to, you know, kind of give us a little, little morsel of what that can be. Yeah, exactly. That that's a, those two characters are just similar enough, but also polar opposites at the same time that, they could tell a really cool story if they don't, you know, rush it, but also don't extend it over over the course of too long. Because that's that's one thing I saw with the uh, the AJ Styles Shinsuke Nakamura feud from WrestleMania 34. The build up to that felt almost a little too long, and almost like they were running out of ideas. And they kind of made the match stale before it could even go on. And so that's what I kind of worry about with a match between Banks and Belair, because like Styles and Nakamura, who both uh, wrestle kind of similar styles, and they both came from New Japan, and they were both faces in that feud, and Banks and Belair would both be faces in this feud. Um, it would be interesting to see how they how they balance that dynamic. Um, on the men's side of things, that rumble is very unpredictable. Uh, it's hard to, to think where they could go. Uh, I kind of want to say edge just because yeah he announced he's coming back for it yeah he he announced he's coming back and for the two reasons that they didn't make it a surprise because he's already one had the surprise return last year and two back in 2010 he won the won the rumble as a surprise entrant so i don't think that they would want to have him repeat either being a plain surprise entrant or repeat being a plain uh surprise winner so I think the fact that they announced it ahead of time makes it a little fresh if he does win and becomes one of those illustrious two-time Rumble winners. But other names, I mean, if he if he wins that Rumble, I would expect him to go on and challenge um, Drew McIntyre because uh, he is a Raw, Raw superstar right. at, at the moment. But on the SmackDown side of things, I feel like they never really capitalized on that Daniel Bryan-Roman Reigns feud yeah. that they've been teasing for a while. Right. And, I mean, if you want a Rumble that's going to send the fans home happy, People have been wanting Daniel Bryan to win the Rumble since, geez, I want to say like 2013. So <laughs> right. this could be the year to, to 
capitalize on it. But I also love the AJ pick. Uh, I'm just a, I'm just a big AJ yeah. dork, so that's why. I mean, I don't really have anything hey, behind hey, it. <laughs> I was just about to say, I'm right there with you. AJ is my favorite wrestler of all time. I, I've watched him. Uh, I started watching TNA in 2012, so I, I know I was a little late to the, the AJ TNA train, but I watched him in New Japan when he was leading the Bullet Club, and when he signed with WWE, I was just so happy because I knew he was going to be on my on my TV every week, and that was just really cool. Um, to see and the the success he's had in WWE for a guy coming from where he's come from it's it's unreal no no like you know sub six foot indie sensation who relies so heavy on on flip moves uh ever wins the world title and he did it twice he had <laughs> right. he had one of the longest reigns in modern history it's it's unbelievable what he's what he's done it's just gone to show how strong of a, a wrestler a character a man uh, a company man he is and uh yeah what a way to cap off just a great wwe run and just wrestling career as a whole by giving him the rumble win so even though i think i'm gonna go with uh the edge pick i'll, I'll be rooting for for styles this sunday can't go wrong with either one of those for sure and speaking of new japan you know aew kenny omega you had the good brothers on there the young bucks what do you think of the aew product it's been a couple years now uh, my only gripe has been that the women's division has been kind of lackluster. There's times where you know, I'm into what's going on there. But for the most part, that's the only thing I can nitpick. But everything else has been great. I love, I mean, Kenny Omega on your TV every week. You can't complain about that. What do you think of AEW right now and uh, what they're doing with guys like Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and John Moxley? I, I think I officially certified myself as, a, as an AEW fanboy because I, I bought a hoodie a couple weeks ago. Um, and I, I don't know if that's like the stamp of approval to say, like, you know, I'm officially buying into the products, but I feel like that was a big step for me to be like, OK, I'm really digging what they're doing. Um, AEW, man, for the first time in what feels like years, because I mean, I don't really count sports as appointment television because it's just so constant. Um, AEW has become like the first appointment television show for me in so long and it's really cool to literally look forward to dynamite every single week and what they're doing right now with the impact crossover it's awesome I know a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people said uh it wasn't uh financially beneficial to aew because they made the argument of what does aew really have to gain impact is not a very wealthy company you know they're they're not on a major network um but i i made the argument of it's not so much about what they can gain financially from impact, but just what they can gain from their own audience being more intrigued at a crossover storyline. I mean, you know, if, if Marvel brings in characters from like, say for the Eternals, for example, that's a group of characters that no one really knows anything about, but people are going to be excited to see them interact with the other Marvel heroes. Simple, simply for the fact that it's a crossover. And, and crossovers are cool. And when you have a weekly thing with AEW and Impact, uh, just just uh, this nighttime of recording, uh, the Good Brothers, uh, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson, popping up on, on AEW, wearing the Impact belts and referencing right. the Bullet Club. It makes, it makes pro wrestling feel much bigger than just one company. I feel like that's one gripe I've always had with WWE. They, they never really acknowledge your career outside. They just say, Oh, traveled the world or, you know, won championships in, in so many different promotions. AEW is really leaning into the fact of, no, this is Serena Deeb, our NWA women's champion. She competes in the NWA. Right. This is the Good Brothers. They compete on Impact. 
Uh, I remember this time last year when when Mox and, and Jericho were feuding. Uh, Jericho straight up said on, 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 on an episode of Dynamite, he said, uh, me and Mox both won our matches at the Tokyo Dome last night. And I was like, that's just a reference to, to Wrestle Kingdom. That's awesome. Like making wrestling feel more than it's just one company and acknowledging the outside promotions and having that kind of cross-pollination between everything. Like sign me up as a viewer, man. I am so amazed and and happy with what AEW is doing as a as a weekly product right now. The one regret I have is I, I just wish we could fill up these arenas because some of the yeah. pop we could have had when Omega when Omega runs out of the uh, of the arena with the AEW title and Kala says we'll see you next Tuesday on Impact. The pop that that would have got in front of a, a ten thousand seat arena, man, it's kind of it's kind of sad to say what if, but. At the same time, it just makes me look more forward to what it will be like when live crowds eventually return. Could you imagine when Sting came out, what it would have been like? You oh, know? oh my goodness, man. Or Matt Hardy when he premiered, uh, you know, some months back. I mean, yeah, stuff like that. And, you know, and, and all the promotions, you know, we're missing oh. out on that that fan reaction to things. But uh, yeah, it's been fun, though. I mean, AEW is, is a quality product every week, without a doubt. So yeah, WWE has its you know highs and lows, a lot of peaks and valleys with it. But you know, I keep watching. I, I can't stay away from it. But uh, really looking forward to Royal Rumble. As I always say, it kicks off the WrestleMania season. And here we are. Man, Liam, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. It's been a been a blast having you on. Let people know where they could follow you and see some of your work that you've done in your podcast and everything. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. This this is honestly a blast. You 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 called this show Infinite Banter, and I I really felt like it could have gone on <laughs> without a doubt, man. This, this was a, a great conversation. I loved how we were able to touch like all different aspects of pop culture. Um, you can find me on on Twitter at Liam T Crowley. Uh, I'm really trying to grow my Twitter audience, so if you want to interact with me and hit me up with your your WandaVision takes, your Marvel stuff, uh, Mandalorian, pro wrestling. Whatever it is, I, I love interacting with, with people and talking about this exact kind of stuff that we talked about on this podcast today. I also have a podcast over on thedirect.com, simply called The Direct Podcast. Uh, we're trying to grow that uh, immensely. So if you could check us out, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, just about wherever you get your podcasts, you can find that. Uh, give us a listen. Let, let us know what you think. And if you like, stick around, uh, hit subscribe. And then I also write for uh, thedirect.com. I do a lot of news articles, but also a lot of feature stuff too. I'll have an article coming out in a couple of days about predicting what MCU trailers could drop at the Super Bowl. Uh, I put a lot of insight into that. So uh, if you give it a click, it would make my day. And I also write for uh, wrestlinginc.com. Uh, it's a big uh, pro wrestling news site where we cover really just everything from all these different promotions. And at the end of the day, it's just a blast. I'm, I'm really trying to make this this whole entertainment uh, news thing, uh, not just my career, but just kind of making my life because this is so much fun. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Just talking about oh, all yeah, dude. universes, <laughs> it's a blast. I mean, this is much better than punching a clock, <laughs> without a doubt. Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and plus, we could, uh, you know, I'll make fun of you when the Fantastic Four thing doesn't exactly out to be anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Save, save this podcast and hit me up in, in, uh, in a couple of years. And if you hate Fantastic Four, you can say that it was my fault. I give you full permission. But then, of course, you look like a genius when it works out. And we're all like, man, that's such a great idea. Why didn't we think of that? Well, Liam did. That's why it worked. So, you know, it, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping it works out, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. At the end of the day, we got a couple of years and a lot of stuff in between it. So I'm sure we'll, we'll have a lot to smile about in the meantime. No doubt, man. Thank you so much for coming on the Infinite Banter podcast. Liam Crowley, check him out on the direct.com. 
and the podcast and everything. Uh, once again, uh, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And talking some nerd stuff, man. Hey, Mark, thank you so much. Uh, have me back anytime. I'm happy to join. Definitely, definitely. Make sure you check out the Have You Seen It podcast. Have you ever wondered what shows are like in foreign countries, but the language barrier is what stopped you from giving them a chance? My name's Maggie, and I host the podcast, Have You Seen It?, where I talk about TV shows from countries all around the world. If you're like me, you spend more time on Netflix looking for something to watch than actually watching something. So if you don't want to spend time scrolling through Netflix or even Hulu, check out my podcast for some show suggestions. I talk about the plots, tell you who the cast is, what I liked and what I didn't like about the shows. And I also throw in some fun facts about each country, tell you where in the world the show takes place, how close they are to any other shows that I've already covered, mention any cultural differences or similarities that I noticed, and my favorite part are the words and phrases that I picked up while watching these shows. You can check out Have You Seen It on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and most other places you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at OfficialHYSI. That's O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L-H-Y-S-I. And make sure to like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash OfficialHYSI. Let me help you find your new favorite show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your man Vincent M. Ward, a.k.a. Oscar from the number one show, The Walking Dead. And I'm here with my man Mark from Infinite Banter. Y'all better stay tuned. Peace. Hold up, hold up. I can't just play a drop from Vincent M. Ward out saying happy birthday to him and to Joshua Michael. Both of them been on the show, actors from The Walking Dead, and they both celebrated birthdays this past week. So happy birthday, Vincent M. Ward. Happy 50th. I see you. And Joshua Michael, I don't know what age you are, but happy birthday as well. Both of them were past guests on the show. You can check out Vincent M. Ward, episode 49. Joshua Michael, episode 41. Uh, had a blast talking to both of those guys. And definitely happy birthday to both of them. Salute to you guys. Walking Dead is coming back in a couple weeks. Was that February 28th? So about three or four Sundays from now, we're going to get some Walking Dead again. So Exciting times. So happy birthday, Vincent M. Ward. Happy birthday, Joshua Michael. Salute to both of you dudes. How could I not play these guys' drops and not represent their birthdays? What's wrong with me? All right. All right, cut it up, Soundwave, which is me. Tell myself to cut it. Cut it, man. Hey, this is Josh Michael of Walking Dead fame. You don't know who I am. You're listening to Infinite Banter. Once again, thanks to Liam Crowley for coming on the show here. One more comic book type thing I want to bring up before we end the show. I'm a huge Walking Dead fan. John Berndahl played Shane on there. He's done some great things since he left The Walking Dead. And many of you know on Netflix, he played The Punisher. He played Frank Castle. And all those series have been canceled. They're done. Whatever. But there has been a story that's come out. And shout out to my man Channel 7 because he put me onto this. I didn't know about it. But he is coming back to play Punisher. I'm not sure if it's a reboot or not. I'm, I'm reading about it. And it's, it's not really very clear as if it is or if it's just a continuation without actually trying to delve into what happened before on the Netflix series. But I'm really excited to see that they're bringing it back. I love the Punisher. I also like Daredevil. And I know some people didn't like Luke Cage and Iron Fist. And I like them at, at times. There was things about each one that I liked. But I'm really excited that Punisher, at least John Bernthal, who's been the best portrayal of Punisher, is coming back. Or at least it appears that he is. Unless this is not right, it's what I'm reading. But I'm really excited to see that they are going to do something with Punisher again. All this stupid crap with the... Uh, 
you know, the insurrection people wearing the Punisher logo on shirts going into the Capitol, I, it really makes me sick to, to see that. Uh, that's not what Punisher's about. Even John Bernthal himself has called those people out. And uh, they already ruined, you know, Break Into, Electric Boogaloo. These idiots call themselves Boogaloo Boys. They already ruined Break Into. Don't ruin Punisher also. Stay out of my stuff, man. I just can't have anything nice, man, because, you know, conspiracy idiots out there and QAnon clowns, Trump idiots, they got to come out there and, and take things, so... Thankfully, John Bernthal called them out. You don't get to wear that Punisher shirt. You don't get to do what you did and try to rep Punisher. It's not what he was about. You know, people who read the comic books know Punisher was deep in the military and he would never do something like that. So salute to John. But yeah, I'm excited to see that it's coming back, at least with him as Punisher. Hopefully that is all true what I'm reading and anybody out there that's a Punisher fan, you know, get really excited. It's make me want to play that Eric Bean Rakim song, The Punisher. I wish they would put that song in a movie. I think that would be great, you know, but, you know, that's just a wish for me. And happy birthday to Rakim, by the way. I saw that he had a birthday the other day, so salute to the God MC Rakim. But, yeah, Punisher looks like it's coming back with John Bernthal. Fingers crossed this is all true. Any of you clowns out there that are repping that dude, take that shirt off. You don't get to wear it. Put on a Plastic Man shirt or something. Put on a whack uh, superhero shirt. Don't put on, <laughs> put on the Punisher, man. Get out of here with that. Ruining electric boogaloo. Taking everything. Clowns. Yes, good. You are listening to the Infinite Benter Podcast. Listen, turn it up. Oh, I'm afraid the podcast will be quite operational when your ears arrive. Yes, listen. Do it. Do it now. Crank up the power. Unlimited power. Do it. Time for you to leave, assholes. All right, that is Kirk Acevedo telling me that it's time to go, and that is exactly what I'm going to do. So, Kirk, I'm out of here. You can close the door, put the foot in the ass. I'm out of here. Thanks again for everybody for listening to the show. Big time salute to my man Liam Crowley for coming on here. Go follow him on Twitter, Liam T. Crowley. Follow the direct.com on Twitter. Go to the website, read his articles. Check out his podcast, The Direct Podcast. Also, Blockbuster Breakdowns and WrestlingInc.com. You can find his work there. So definitely, definitely follow Liam Crowley. Great, great content talking about Mandalorian and all the stuff we were talking about. All right, that's it for the show. Got a couple good music guests coming up here in the next episode, so definitely stay tuned for that. Really hyped about one. Won't spoil it just yet, but uh, really excited for one coming up here. So as always, check out the show on all digital platforms. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Infinite Banter. Go to YouTube, type in Infinite Banter. Hear old clips from past episodes. See what the show's about. Go on Apple Podcasts, rate and review. Really appreciate that. And until I do another one of these, I'm out. Hey, asshole, get off the road. Being on the infinite banner with my man Mark has been a pleasure.